Hello and welcome to The Tax Files. My name is Ali Kazmi and I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, Ekta Kumar. Hello, Ekta. Hi, Ali. Welcome to The Tax Files, a monthly audio podcast where alongside an esteemed guest, we will be discussing the most pertinent topics for tax and accounting professionals while also getting to know some key members of the tax industry a little bit better. Ali, how have you been? I'm top of the world. Uh, well, I say that, but my kids are all back from uni, so it's a full house. <laughs> and I've just been uh, demoted from a tax advisor to a taxi driver. <laughs> One of the same, I think. I'm sure that's a father's responsibility now, isn't it? <laughs> it's, at some point, you trade in the kind of hat of wisdom for like a little chauffeur hat <laughs> and start to, start to provide the services for the kids. <laughs> Indeed, absolutely. So tell me, what about yourself? What you been up to? God, what have I been up to? Just, you know, it's just crazy how quickly time is going. It's It's been a lot of travel. Um, I've actually recently just sort of come back from um, Madrid, which uh, which was amazing. Ooh. Have you been before, Ali? Oh, once, but conferences, you know, they're not real travel. It doesn't really You don't get happen. to see anything. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you're not eating churros or hoovering up some tapas or something like that, you're you're not in the you're not in the right mind frame, I think. <laughs> uh, but it was it was amazing, so good. The weather is incredible, um, and as usual, we've sort of come back to the UK, and and apparently the Great British Summertime is kicking off. But I am yet to see any sunshine. What about you? Oh, I mean, I'm praying for it. I've got some tickets uh, for cricket matches, but who knows whether I'll get to watch any or it'll be rained down. Exactly. Benefits of uh, hosting sporting events in the UK, I guess, right? Indeed. Well, look, today is the fourth episode of The Tax Files, where we are joined by Wendy Walker, who is the Solution Principal of Sovos. Wendy was previously the Corporate Compliance Manager at Zion's Band Corporation, and since September, she's been on the Tax Task Force Leadership Committee at the Chamber of Digital Commerce. She is an expert in tax withholding, banking, and risk management. Excellent. Uh, Wendy, uh, I'm look, really looking forward to hearing what she has to say about her background, about some of the recent work she's been uh, getting involved with, very exciting stuff, uh, including changes to the CRS, CARF. CARF is the uh, crypto asset reporting framework, and also at uh, digitalization of taxation or making tax digital. And we will be discussing some recent new stories with her, as well as um, introducing her to our rapid fire round. We get to know our guests a little bit better. My favorite bit. Well, welcome, Wendy. We're delighted to have you join us. Where are you joining us from? Thank you. I am joining from uh, the very warm, sunny Columbus, Ohio in the United States today. Going to be 90 degrees Fahrenheit today here. So. Oh, jealous. <laughs> no thunderstorms. <laughs> oh, lucky for some, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Excellent. So, Wendy, welcome. And in our first section, we talk a little bit about your background. And you've had a really illustrious sort of like career from modeling at Abercrombie and Fitch to now at Sovos. So, what would you say have been the key? milestones, determinant points of your career, the key events that have brought you to where you are today? Well, I, I certainly thank you very much for having me today, Ali. I appreciate this and um, appreciate the opportunity. 
well, I certainly was doing a different type of modeling than maybe some are thinking of when they hear that introduction, uh, because I because I started out uh, in accounting uh, for Abercrombie & Fitch, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, but that's actually also where I first got my start in U.S. 1099 reporting. Uh, prior to that, I had done a little information reporting um, for, for payroll side, but in the United States, that was my first time doing 1099 reporting. And then, you know, actually, I got really interested in tax and uh, tax information uh, reporting and processes at that company. And so um, was really excited uh, and went over to banking because in banking and in financial institutions, as many people know, there is a lot more tax withholding and information reporting obligations than there is, say, at Abercrombie and Fitch. So, um, it was a, it was a lot more um, interesting, a lot more complicated tax work, um, and so that was probably my next um, major stepping stones was at J.P. Morgan. When I left there, I did go to Zions, which you mentioned was uh, uh, where I was a compliance manager. I actually built their FATCA program, which I think was another really big milestone for me. Was um, implementing the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act in a financial institution, um, which was uh, problematic to say the least. <laughs> so, so. In, in in the UK, we have just uh, had a new play, or should I say, show start, which is uh, a stage version of Back to the Future, ah. which is a really interesting, uh, you know, concept. So if you had one of those machines and you could go back in time, would you do it all again and come into taxation? I absolutely would, because Ali, I'm a firm believer that what what I did then got me here today, right? And I'm a I'm a real happy person and I believe that, you know, everything happens for a reason. So, you know, those things that I did in taxation, while I might have wished sometimes I had made other decisions <laughs> so that an outcome was different, I mean, in the end, here I am. So absolutely. It's amazing. And you could definitely tell that. You could definitely feel your passion and feel kind of the, the excitement around the subject matter. Tell me, Wendy, what motivates you? What motivates you day to day? You know, I, truthfully, my family does. I might have a 15-year-old son who's getting ready to be a sophomore in high school next year. I have a 27-year-old daughter who has two children, so I'm a grand grandma. Uh, and I, I really um, enjoy, you know, spending time with them. But what motivates me is succeeding in my yeah. career and showing them that, you know, um, a, 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 an individual can succeed in tax. Tax can be fun and interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> and especially when you can be on the front of shaping the tax policy. Exactly. And, and kind of with the level of experience you've had and the exposure you've had over the years for some amazing, amazing companies. What got you into tax in the first place? Why tax kind of going going back those years? What was it about it? You know, when I was working um, at, at um, Abercrombie and Fitch, actually, and I worked in accounting and, and in tax in those areas, that was, as I said, the first time I was introduced to really 1099 reporting. And it was really the excitement of annual reporting, the busy, busy time of year to get things ready in the organization, to issue out those reports, to the taxpayer, to interact with the Internal Revenue Service and other state tax jurisdictions. Um, it, it, was, it was exciting and challenging, and it really got me excited to come to work every day, uh, as opposed to working in an accounting job where you sort of have the same thing you do every day, day after day. 
So the variety piqued your interest, I guess. Yes. So Wendy, I mean, with such a broad background and particularly in information reporting, banking taxes and so on, is there still some area of taxation that you still wish to pursue that you haven't outside of what you currently do? Yes, that's a great question. I, you know, so I've worked in this area. This is still an area of personal income tax, right? This information reporting area, but I've never actually been working directly with the taxpayer. So, you know, in my roles, as you can see, working with large corporations, I was in roles where we were issuing out information to taxpayers, but mostly working with the jurisdictions. I would really love to be later on in my career, I'd like to actually start to, you know, advise, maybe prepare returns. Um, for more complex tax scenarios. Um, I, I think I, I'm around the fringes of those areas of tax quite a bit today, but I've not been able to actually work directly in that. So just one thing, actually, before we move on to the next section, Wendy, you mentioned 1099 reporting. Just for our listeners who may not be familiar with that term, what, what are you specifically alluding to? Yeah, that's a great question. So here in the United States, the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, they use third-party information reporting as uh, a compliance mechanism. So um, third-party companies, banks, um, companies that you might work for as an employee, they withhold taxes throughout the year during payments that they're making to you as a taxpayer. And at the end of the year, they're required to file a report with the IRS and with your state of residence, tax residence, uh, for purposes of the, the agency being able to, to triangulate that information compared to your income tax return. So information reporting is the culmination of all of that year's transactions and, you know, the, the report out to the taxpayer and to the jurisdiction. Interesting. And we, and we have over 30 of those here in the United States, 30 different variations of those types of returns. So. Wow. Amazing. It, it's that development, isn't it? And the evolution of, of tax and, and how that's perceived, I guess, in, in different jurisdictions around the world. But I guess the, the information share is, is kind of at the bottom of it, right? Which, um, which is the main kind of, I guess, culprit to do with it. So, Wendy, as we described before, we'd really like to discuss the latest CRS developments together. But for the sake of our listeners, what is CRS? Yeah, and so a little background on the common reporting standard. So, it, you know, it was developed, the common reporting standard was a framework that was developed in response to the G20 request. So this was adopted in 2014. It was um, first reporting uh, started by a group of the participating countries in 2017, and then the rest of the requirements, the uh, rest of the countries phased in after that. The purpose of the CRS is to encourage transparency and to combat tax evasion um, by allowing you know, revenue agencies to share information with one another uh, about each other's taxpayers. It requires financial institutions and insurance companies uh, to report financial details about specific accounts and taxpayers. As I said, there are over 100 countries that are participating in the common reporting standard today, uh, countries that um, are sharing that taxpayer account information with one another. So, for example, that if a UK resident is maintaining a financial account in Switzerland, for example, that information would be reported to the HMRC uh, by, this, uh, by the Swiss government. 
the CRS um, also requires financial institutions to collect taxpayer information about for each of those accounts that they are maintaining. And the financial institutions typically use what's called a self-cert or self-certification um, to collect that information. Annually, the financial institution collects up all of that data uh, about those reportable accounts and converts it into the CRS schemas to be electronically delivered over to the various jurisdictions that they operate in. Uh, the thing is, although it's called the common reporting standard, it's not really all that common, <laughs> meaning meaning the standard aren't necessarily consistent across the jurisdictions. Some of the countries um, have adopted a little bit more of a specific requirement, perhaps a requirement to submit a nil report uh, when they don't even have accounts to report would be one example. Um, but um, And the CRS is uh, enforced through penalty schemas. So each of the jurisdictions have you know, their own rules about how they enforce the CRS. Some of them have actually approved penalties that could imply pr criminal uh, prosecution. So um, that's kind of a background, I think, on the common reporting standard. So, Wendy, it fills my heart with glee to see an American take such an active interest in uh, CRS, <laughs> which uh, I'm sure you will appreciate isn't always shared by your fellow countrymen. Uh, and on that note, I was going to say, what, why is it that you do take such a deep interest in CRS, whereas a lot of U.S. institutions don't? Well, first, I mentioned earlier that, you know, one of the pivotal moments in my career was the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act and implementing that in a financial institution. And what came right after FATCA was the CRS, right? We always say that the CRS is just FATCA, the non-U.S. FATCA, right? So as a, as a compliance leader uh, for a financial institution that had multiple entities, you know, I was responsible for making sure not only we were compliant with FATCA, but also with CRS. So I uh, became intimately familiar with the requirements and how to, you know, report to the jurisdictions. But of course, most pivotally in my career would be when I moved to Sovos <laughs> in 2015, a tax software filing company. And so we, of course, are very focused on common reporting standard filing requirements. So obviously, FATCA is on the march. We have had the OECD discussion paper. And uh, FATCA was the second part of it. The larger part was on uh, crypto assets reporting framework. Uh, what's happening there? Yeah. So crypto assets, you know, they've really evolved significantly in the last, you know, five years especially. Taxpayers can invest in digitally created tokens and, you know, much like a commodity, the value of the tokens appreciates quite a bit uh, in short periods of time. And so, you know, many taxpayers were not reporting their gains from crypto assets. And so uh, some of the countries obviously became aware of some of that evasion and began to um, ask the OECD to undertake a research project around crypto assets. And so at least uh, almost three years ago, I think the OECD kicked off a research project on blockchain technology, how crypto assets are being used with blockchain technology. And um, about 18 months ago, um, delivered a, um, some, you know, started to reach out to the industry to talk about uh, perhaps a reporting framework for digital assets. Okay, and what, what what is the interaction between CARF 
and uh, CRS. You know, there's, it's kind of interesting that I, we had, I think many of us had thought from the beginning that we would just report digital assets similar to how we report stocks and bonds transactions under the CRS today. And that's not what's happened, uh, or at least that doesn't seem to be what's evolving over the last, you know, several, um, several months. The OECD has been crafting this framework um, for reporting transactions and the key areas that really seem to cross with the CRS first include aggregating reporting by crypto assets. I think that, you know, currently today we report uh, account balances and gross proceeds amounts for traditional securities transactions under CRS. With the CARF, I think one of the key things that we're seeing is that the jurisdictions are asking for us to report the aggregate of transactions that occurred and break it down by the different types of digital assets that were transacted. I think that's a really key one to watch. Another area that I'm watching is the expiring self-certification forms. You know, I mentioned early on with the common reporting standard that we collect, we use self-certification forms to collect tax information today and administer the process. And we collect that typically when we're establishing an account on, a, you know, a, a relationship with an account and, and verify the information and we move on. <clears throat> the, the CARF is suggesting that perhaps those self-certifications would expire uh, every three years and would need to be refreshed and replaced. That's definitely a departure from the current CRS. I mean, I guess it's almost kind of catching up to this new digital economy and this new sort of way of living, right? I think technology is at the the forefront of of most people out there, and and all, albeit sort of quite difficult to define actually digital assets and and kind of what it looks like moving forward into this new world. To you. What exactly is the digitization of taxation? How does that evolution take place in your mind? Yeah. So, well, I mean, listen, you, like you said, technology is a part of our everyday life. It's, it, it has brought transparency to so many um, interactions in our life. We use technology on our phones to tell us how to get somewhere and allow it to track where we are at any given point uh, in order to help us get where we're going. You know, we use technology to help deliver groceries to our homes you know, which provides transparency to our bank information, our shopping preferences, our home address. You know, we're accustomed to digitization as a society, and the tax function is no exception. Tax administrations, they need systems that can process huge amounts of data and draw insights out of it. And so digitization of the tax administration process is really reshaping how tax administrations receive you know, interpret and exploit information efficiently and effectively. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess alongside that, it's it's really about how digitalization of tax impacts companies, not just sort of locally, but globally, right? And, and sort of how that, that, that footprint is sort of mirrored across the world. From, from your point of view, for, for kind of the digitalization of tax administration, what are some examples that you can give us around how that successfully kind of got off the, got off the mark? Yeah. I think the most obvious example is in the EU, is in the VAT, the one-stop shop, it's called. That platform was developed by each of the member countries to combat something like $7 billion euro, um, 7 billion euro uh, of annual VAT fraud. 
And it really simplifies the way that taxpayers now can declare their taxes due uh, and it accepts payments electronically. Um, so, and so I think about an example like that, and I think about, you know, um, ways that, uh, for example, in Ireland, I think they developed a system not too long ago for collecting local property taxes. And again, it determines the taxes due, accepts payments electronically. So I think those are a couple of obvious examples where we've seen some administrations really try to digitize that process so that they're not, you know, receiving paper uh, returns, not receiving check payments or even cash payments in some cases um, to settle settle the tax obligation. So that's that's a really interesting area to be in. Have any views on, you know, the future of, say, for example, the traditional tax advisors? Are we going to give way to tax technologists? Will traditional advisory firms essentially become pure advisory and a lot of the processing will move away? I do not. I actually think that the tax advisor function is probably going to be one of the, the biggest conduits between the, the, the technology and the operation, right? Because I think from a tax advisor standpoint, that the, the legal aspect of interpreting what is required by the law and then applying that into technology and operation that is that is the piece that so many people need help with today. It's so easy to read, you know, a paragraph of requirements in, in in a crypto asset reporting framework, but to take that back and actually apply that to maybe fifteen different uh, crypto asset products that you might be, um, you know, uh, uh, running within your platforms is difficult to interpret from a technology perspective how you're going to transform that so that the government can consume that and, and that it be correct, for, uh, not just the government and for the taxpayer as well. So a question for Ekta actually. Uh, the other day I was on HMRC website and I was looking at careers and it was quite interesting that they're essentially just hiring tax technologists, people with the technical background. I mean, are you finding in your practice, Ekta, that uh, the private sector is also hiring technologists? Absolutely. I think that it's almost a new breed of, of tax professionals, right? You sort of had the, the tax accountancy and the advisors, and now all of a sudden you've got the technologists who have sort of come to come to the, the plate of things. And, you know, it's a natural uh, gravitation, I would say, Ali, if, if you look at the DNA of, of tax teams and kind of the, the things that people are facing from a hiring and recruitment perspective, not just changing of skill set, but things like toying with outsourcing models, insourcing, you know, playing with the, the structure of kind of automation versus sort of manual processing. It, it's natural that tax is obviously kind of catching up a little bit around some of these issues because it is a, a system that's obviously been ingrained for so many years. But absolutely, we're seeing kind of from the HMRC, the big four, the accountancy firms, the larger practices, all the way down to the SMEs, starting to really kind of retrain their brains around tax technology and, and focusing on the development, but also the, the kind of implementation of tax technology. Um, what about you, Ali, from, from your side of things, do you see tax technology kind of progressing further in, in the UK and internationally than it has already? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a view. I think traditional firms, advisory firms are not best place to do technology because they don't get it most of the time consultants, they get bored of it. They're not very good at running systems. 
But, you know, who knows? Tomorrow we may see uh, somebody was talking about taxation as a service or tax in a box, whereby your tax function is basically done by one provider and basically you open it up and you have an app that basically does it for you. But that's the brave new world where we're heading towards. I think you're going to have to trademark tax in a box, Ali. I think that's, <laughs> quickly, I think it's, I can see it going viral, honestly. There's going to be hashtags, there's going to be marketing and branding. I can see it. Absolutely. So, Wendy, one of the other future developments, or not future, I mean, it's happening now, really, is a real focus on sustainability. And you know, it's affecting the way people invest. There's the ESG, the environmental, social, and governance sort of like movement, ESG side of things. Are you seeing those developments on your side of the pond as well? And if so, where do you think this is heading? We definitely are. I mean, from a, in the tax space, it, just from an environment perspective, we're always after paper, right? We're always, how can we reduce paper? Uh, how can we reduce just the, the printing, the mailing, the, you know, that, that aspect of things. And um, so I think we were talking about tax going digital. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing across jurisdictions on this side of the pond is as many jurisdictions as possible, that if they can automate their uh, technology to eliminate, the, again, those paper transactions. And so we're seeing thresholds be reduced. If you are a business and you have a certain amount of returns that have to be submitted, now you must file them electronically. We'll impose a penalty if you file them on paper, you know, if you try to submit paper. Um, or we see complete forms going away, that the only way that you can actually file information with a government in some areas of tax is to do so online electronically. Um, so paper is a big um, thing over here. I think in the crypto world, in the crypto asset world, the big issue we hear about from an ESG perspective is is in Bitcoin mining, right? Or any sort of cryptocurrency mining and the, and the technology uh, that it takes to, and the energy that it takes to produce the, um, it, even just one block of Bitcoins uh, is, is just um, something I think a lot of people are trying to get away from. And the reason why I think we're seeing things like the Ethereum blockchain come up where that smart contract technology is being used for cryptocurrency processing rather than that mining technology. Yeah. And, and from an ESG point of view, where do you think the buck lies? Do you think it's a company standard? Do you think it's at the individual standard? Where where would you say the responsibility lies from an ESG point of view? I think it's everyone, right? I think it's everyone. I mean, I think that's, that's a question we can ask ourselves in our daily lives. You know, we all, I'm sure many of us think about recycling or we think about using less or wasting less or, you know, those. So I think that's something that it resides with everyone and, and businesses included. I mean, they're, you know, um, I, I work with a lot of companies who are using very outdated technologies uh, that perhaps can't produce electronic tra tax information. And I would say that's doing a disservice uh, to us as a society, you know, for, for the for the reasons we were just talking. Agreed. There's a bigger footprint there, I think. And like you said, you know, it's not just about companies sort of owning up to their share of it. It's it's an individual level and, and making sure that you mirror that on, on a day-to-day -day basis. I guess it's having it at the forefront, right? Particularly in, in the industries we've been talking about surrounding crypto and 
digital currencies, digital assets. What do you think of the of the recent crash in in the crypto side of things? You know, I actually was. It, it's definitely been. Uh, it's sad. That's my first thing. Was, was I was sad for the people who were invested in that because I know. I've seen this happen before in cryptocurrency where it's just, you know, it's millionaire. You know, I think the joke these days is I'm a millionaire. I'm not a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. I'm not a millionaire. You know, um, and, and we're unfortunately seeing a lot of that in, in this world, in this cryptocurrency world. I do think um, particularly what what should be noted about that, though, too, is the the, you know, fact that Luna was a stable coin. And, you know, um, that really was the first time I think that any of the regulatory side of the governments was able to see that there is perhaps an impact on the financial system, that cryptocurrency is valid, and that when the financial system, you know, uh, undergoes stress, that cryptocurrency can create, you know, just as much ripple and waves in that financial system as other other products can. And I think, you know, um, it, it was and is still being, you know, fully investigated, but I think there's a variety of tax issues that are coming out of it. I've had people asking me on the U.S. side what I think about it and in terms of how they could, you know, perhaps um, claim a loss for that situation. So, um, you know, it, it's definitely, I think, brought eyes that from a regulatory standpoint about where stable coins fit in the market versus virtual or other virtual currencies that we see. Yeah. And do you think that that will impact future stability and therefore the confidence in in terms of sort of the crypto the crypto world essentially? I do, I, I do to some extent. I think that um, we were already seeing some of that uh, happen just because as the regulators began over the last several months, we've seen regulators in the UK, regulators in the United States, and other jurisdictions have been much more public about. Uh, criminal investigations. We've seen a lot of around NFTs, for example. We saw some headlines around fraud with NFTs. So I do think that, you know, we're going to continue to see um, kind of the jurisdictions get more involved, at least in, in sort of highlight some of the nefarious use cases that can be used. And so it will, of course, um, stop some people from investing. I think it'll also even stop some of the more conservative financial institutions from institutionally investing, you know, in, in cryptocurrency as a result. So, uh, Wendy, do you think that uh, the wider tax morality sort of like agenda, as we have seen uh, protests against coffee chains, some technology companies is not paying the fair taxes, is that a movement that you see uh, is going to grow is likely to have a lasting impact? I do. I mean, I, I'm, we're seeing a lot of activity in the charitable space where, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies are being used as donation items. And we're seeing that, um, unfortunately, because cryptocurrency is treated as property, property for tax purposes, charitable organizations are receiving property, disposing of property, uh, and then, you know, having to recognize tax on the uh, on those. And so I think the question becomes, you know, uh, this is uh, this is an unbanked population. These are these funds are being used for humanitarian needs. Um, and so I think that, you know, this will become a larger uh, conversation. Wendy, thank you so much. That was really insightful. Um, before we move ahead to our favorite rapid fire round, I just want to recap. We have covered today. So after introducing you, your background and discussing your work on CRS, CARF, digitalization, we moved on to 
talking about some of your views, some, some views that you expressed on uh, the rise of the tax technologists. And we've just done some future gazing. So with that, it's over to Edka. So Wendy, now we get to know you a bit more as a person. Wendy Walker, are you ready for what we call the rapid fire round? I sure hope so. <laughs> Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Big Mac or Whopper? Whopper. <laughs> City girl or countryside? Country, countryside. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Angelina Jolie or Jennifer Aniston? <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> Favorite actor in the world? <laughs> Brad Pitt. Not related to the last question. <laughs> <laughs> Best song ever sung? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that's a hard one. Best song ever sung. Maybe, um, oh my gosh, I don't think I have a best song ever sung. I failed the question, the rapid fire round. <laughs> we'll let you off. We'll let you off. <laughs> we'll let you off by asking, do you do karaoke? <laughs> I do do karaoke. I, I've had some of the most fun times doing karaoke. Yes. Sure. So tell us the songs that you like to sing. Let's see. I think the last one I did was at least eight or nine years ago, and it was Beyonce's uh, All My Single Ladies, right? The, yeah, but I don't remember the words to that song anymore, but we did that song. <laughs> and I'm not karaoking for you today, Ali. Guess where this is going. I could read down that road. <laughs> Just one line. Come on. All My Single Ladies. <laughs> I was at one of four firms. It was a big. We decided strategic to go for the next gen market, and it was left up to me to basically put a program together. Uh, so what we did was we rounded up all the sort of like the tax people, the banks, and so on, and. Which was all fine by me until the organizer said, Well, these parties you can't start the ball rolling. <laughs> Which I hadn't bargained for. So, you know, it was one of those really awful moments where you have to sort of like kind of show which age bracket you belong to. <laughs> because the only thing I could remember as a song off the list that they had, most of the songs I didn't know, the only one that I remembered was uh, I Got You Babe. Sunny and <laughs> right, listeners, you're in for a treat. Ali Kazimi is about to give us a, a kind of a solo rendition of I've Got You, Babe. <laughs> the Sunny version and the Share version. Exactly. exactly. Multiple, multiple hats. <laughs> and so after the fantastic uh, following we've got on this uh, podcast, I really don't want to lose that. So, so Wendy, if uh, outside of work, Relax with a book or movie or something. My favorite thing to do is to make quilts. I like to quilt. I sew quilts. And so um, I started doing this about five or six years ago. My, my retired mother had gotten into this and I wanted to do something with her and immediately fell in love with this. And uh, 
So I spend many, many a night and weekends uh, at a sewing machine creating quilts. And I have grandkids, as I mentioned now. Uh, so, you know, you can, you can really always find a reason to make a blanket or a quilt for somebody. Fantastic. Uh, do you watch, do you watch or do I, I'm more of a, a Netflix kind of person. If you can, if you can keep me interested, uh, so that's why I like quilting because it keeps me. I can listen to something in the background while I'm while I'm quilting. <laughs> so, so give us a tip to watch Netflix. So the the one I was just watching this weekend was called The Lincoln Lawyer. So it's a pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting series about a fellow who inherits a law firm and all of the cases uh, that the lawyer that owns the law firm had. So that's my sneak preview. I'll tell you. Add that to your uh, add that to your cue list, Ali. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and lastly, Wendy, what is one piece of advice that you would like to leave our audience with? Well, of course, I'm a tax person and I'm thinking about the crypto asset reporting framework and I'm thinking about getting ready for what the next round of CRS reporting looks like for financial institutions and crypto exchanges. So my piece of advice would be if you if your organization is impacted by the crypto asset reporting framework, now is the time to really evaluate everything, all of your company products, your technology, your processes, your policies. Uh, and if your organization similarly is impacted by the United States changes that are coming that were passed last fall in the infrastructure bill, um, same thing, right? Now is the time to be evaluating your technology and processes. My years and years back uh, of implementing FATCA, if there was one thing I learned about that was that it, no matter how much time, it didn't feel like it was enough time. And so take that time now to really evaluate the gaps uh, in your process. Well, Wendy, it's been amazing having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Tax Files. It's been a pleasure having you join us. Please subscribe and get in contact if you wish to discuss any of these topics with us and our team, or if you have any questions at all. We will catch you here again at the same time next month with the most esteemed guest. To stay up to date with announcements, updates, and guest reveals, please follow Hatsuki on LinkedIn.